You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Welcome you to the first day of December, first day of Advent, right after Thanksgiving this year. Did we not have a great Thanksgiving with a white Thanksgiving? Well, I hope you had a wonderful time with your family. Maybe you got to be alone for the holidays, to be on your own. Holidays can be difficult, right? As we think about those that we've lost or those that we don't get to be with. As we focus in on kids and giving gifts and maybe even remember a childhood lost. But families can sure be crazy, right? Being with our families is good, but it's also difficult. Is the coast clear yet in your household? Okay, I'll try to be on my best behavior. My family got to come uh, this year for the holidays. My parents came, my sister, brother-in-law, and all their girls came. We got to all be in one house together. It was wonderful. Our family does have a little odd thing that we do during Thanksgiving. We celebrate something called Birthmas Giving. Yes, it's my mother's birthday on the 29th, so we're going to at some point have a birthday celebration. It's going to be Thanksgiving, of course, and since it's that time to celebrate with that side of the family for this holiday, we kind of look forward to Christmas. And we just mash it all up into this crazy thing called Birthmas Giving. The same thing kind of happens with Donna's side of the family, too, because her father's birthday is right around Thanksgiving, too. So we just mash all these holidays up together. Now, the unfortunate thing is that our kids have uh, come to realize that any holiday means you get gifts. And that's just a problem. That is a problem. We had a really good time together. This was our first time in 26 years of marriage to actually get to host our family. We've always gone to them, so it was great to have them be with us. But I'm kind of curious. I, I know the coast may not fully be clear, and you may not be at liberty to say, but I'm wondering, as you think about your Thanksgiving, was there one crazy thing that your, your family did to drive you crazy, or something that they didn't do to drive you crazy? Is anyone brave enough to tell us something crazy, something that their family does that drives them crazy? Oh, I think family's still around. (laughs) People are wondering who's listening. Okay, I'll I'll come over that way. What have you got, Mary? Our granddaughter was always late, always. So I told her she had to be here at 3 o'clock, no later. She said, I'll be there at 2.50. She came at 3.50. Five, right? Three, three. five. Three, five. So we got <laughs> on all of, we got on her, really. So five after three? Yeah, five okay, after well, three. Okay, well, that's good. You got you to gotta get on her. I, I would count on Mary to give her a hard time. I mean, we're eating lunch at three. You could surely get there, right? All right, what have you got? So Shanna, Thanksgiving, does, she lives next door, but Thanksgiving doesn't start until she brings the mashed potatoes over. But this Thanksgiving, we had an, a, a super fun time because we have this Labrador-sized dog, and my brother, 
who was in the uh, Star Wars shirt. Uh-oh, coast is not clear. Coast right. is not clear, but they have this little Wookiee dog. <laughs> What's it called? It's called a silky, but it looks like a baby Wookiee. Um, uh, and it's about yay big, and it nipped the bigger dog, and so there was a fight. And uh, oh, so no. Thursday after Thanksgiving, we had to take him to the vet and stuff. But, and then yesterday, we also have this mean cat, and the little Wookiee dog went after the mean cat, and they started to get into it. But our dog took off across the room and went after the cat, Instead of going after the little dog, he decided, no, that's my little brother. You leave him alone. Uh, so typical family stuff. Oh, man. That, that's a good one, Mark. I don't want to ruffle any feathers, but you know what they say about pets? Sometimes they carry out the wishes of their owners. What? You got one more? It's not a... Th okay, good, good. I got to be careful. I went to my uh, granddaughter's first Thanksgiving dinner. And she did remember to take the giblets out of the turkey. <laughs> it was great. She did fine, and everything was fantastic. That's good. Yeah, my sister and I, we chant, down with giblets, down with giblets. Families can be a little crazy, right? And I know you guys are on your best behavior, and I know if I left that mic open, we could keep talking and talking and talking. Those were pretty tame, pretty tame stories. Let me read to you one from the Gospel of Mark. Story of a crazy family. And this time I want us to do this a little differently. I want us to take a moment of silence before we hear this passage from Mark chapter 3. And then I'm going to be still after I read it, okay? Don't feel like you have to turn to it, but you can. It's in Mark chapter 3, verse 19 through 35. So first, the moment of silence. Then he went home. And the crowd came together again so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him. For people were saying, he has gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he has Beelzebul. And by the ruler of demons, he casts out demons. And Jesus called them to him, and he spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but his end has come. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then indeed the house can be plundered. Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of eternal sin. For they had said, He has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him, and they called to him. And a crowd was seated around him. 
And they said to him, your mother and your brothers and your sisters are outside. They're asking for you. And he replied, who are my mother and brothers and my, who are they? And looking at those around him, he said, here, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. In this scene, Jesus goes home. In the first part of this scene, he goes to a house to take a break. He's been teaching, he's been preaching, he's been healing, he's been casting out demons, and he just is getting away. But he can't get a break. In the Gospel of Mark, there is frequent mention of house and home and hometown. Many, many, many times throughout the whole book, it seems like everything Jesus does is connected to a house or a home or his hometown. In fact, only in Mark chapter 4 and in the last two chapters are those words not mentioned. Well, Jesus comes home to get away, and he can't get away. People are crowded at the door. They want him to heal. They want him to teach. And he can't even eat. Now, my guess is you didn't have that problem. Maybe some did this week, but I doubt you were so gathered together that you couldn't eat. But that's what he faced. He could not even eat. And in this scenario, a new label has come upon Jesus. People are calling him crazy. That's right. Loco. Nuts. Beside himself. Out of his mind. And his family is coming to restrain him. Now I sit back and I wonder, all right, what, what happened for people to say that Jesus is crazy or loco? Is it the fact that he left the carpentry shop, you know, left his dad's business, walked away to be an itinerant speaker and healer and want to be king? Maybe they thought he was crazy because of that. A lot of people think that Jesus' father had died by this point, Joseph, because he's not mentioned past those early years of Jesus' childhood. So that makes it even stranger that Jesus would abandon the family business and run off on a speaking tour around the Galilean countryside. Well, maybe they think he's crazy because he formed an alternative group of followers that's kind of outside of the Jewish system. And they're traveling around and he's teaching these disciples and apostles. Maybe that's it. Or I guess it could be that it's a rumor started by those religious leaders, the Jewish scribes, the Jewish religious leaders who say, he has Beelzebul. By the power of Satan, he's casting out Satan. Now, this word is a little bit strange. I mean, we're, we're talking about Beelzebul, which maybe you've heard of. It's, it's literally meaning Lord of the house, oddly enough, or Lord of the temple. Sometimes that's the Syrian god. There's a Canaanite god connected to Baal, where it's the prince, where Baal is considered a prince. Or maybe if you look in your Bible, it says Beelzebub with a B. That's actually a little Jewish joke. 
Because when they talked about these pagan gods like Beelzebul, which means Lord of the house, they twisted it and said Beelzebub, which means Lord of the flies. I don't know about you, but I've never been Lord of the flies. I can't get them fought back. So they're just jabbing at these pagan gods by saying Lord of the flies. And we know with thousands of years of history now, that's one of our ways of referring to Satan. So this is a tough scene, a tough opener. Jesus is called crazy. Everyone seems to be against him. And then we move into scene two, where Jesus calls everybody together and he begins to teach. And he teaches in a parable. And this time the parable is just a question. Starts out saying, how can Satan cast out Satan? Jesus tells a joke. Here is an example of Jesus telling a joke. Can you picture Satan acting as a bouncer? You know, cartoon character trying to throw himself out of the club. I mean, I, I, I picture, have you ever seen that old movie by Jim Carrey, with Jim Carrey as the main character called Liar Liar, where he's a lawyer, kind of a not-so-good lawyer, who suddenly gets cursed with the inability to tell lies, he can only speak the truth. This really messes up Jim Carrey's character. He can't, in court, he's always telling the truth. Everywhere he's at, he's telling the truth. It's getting him in trouble and it's ruining his life. So there's a crazy scene in that movie when Jim Carrey takes himself into the bathroom and beats himself up. He puts soap in his eyes and he punches himself in the face because he's trying to beat this out of him. He doesn't know why he can't tell lies anymore. So he throws himself against walls and into the floor. A fun fact about that movie, the people that produced the movie did not put any sound effects in. Jim Carrey actually beat himself up for comedic purposes in this movie. Well, this is the kind of example that Jesus tells. Can Satan beat Satan's self up? And everyone's laughing and chuckling and saying, no. No, that wouldn't make sense. And so things are kind of going well here for Jesus. He's got them laughing. They're able to see that he's a powerful teacher. He's been casting out demons. They're, they're seeing that these religious leaders are not to be trusted. But Jesus, he can be trusted. And things are going really well for him. Now, we could spend a long time talking about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to do that today. Let's just suffice it to say that whenever you call good evil, you are calling things that should be holy evil, and that is going to get you in trouble every time. Jesus provides a warning for them. Be very careful about calling good evil. And he's not accusing them, but he's saying you're very close. You are calling me evil, and I am of God. Well, then we get to the final scene. Things have gone well, but Jesus kind of messes it up, right? He's teaching in the house, and his family shows up. I don't know if they have a straitjacket or what, but they're there to restrain him. And they're calling to him. It's his mother, it's his brother, it's his whole family standing at the door. And people are kind of frustrated and they say, all right, Jesus, did, did you know your mother is at the door? Your brother and your sisters are at the door. 
It's a crazy scene. It's not quite the same as pets fighting with one another, but it's close. And then Jesus plays dumb. Who? Who are my mother and brothers? And people are paying close attention to Jesus ignoring his own family at the door. And he says, here. Here, those gathered around me who seek to do the will of God, these are my mother and my brother and my sister. These are my family. Family's a tough thing. It sounds like Jesus is kind of being mean. Home can be a tough place where we're not really respected, maybe where there's lots of fights and squabbles, but in this situation, we have Jesus almost acting crazy and ignoring his own family for a very important point. Whenever your family knows you, they might try to control you and limit you. And Jesus has a little different focus. He knows what his identity is. There's no question about that. So what I want to do today is to talk about some family dynamics of how these people who should be Jesus' supporters, his family and these religious leaders, are not. They're the ones calling him crazy and calling him a devil. But Jesus is so clear on his identity that he's unfazed by being called these names. He's unmoved by religious leaders who are trying to discredit him. And he's not thwarted by a family that's trying to restrain him and keep him back because he knows his identity. In his mind and in his body, he understands who he is before God. Now remember, Jesus is fully human and fully divine. He's just like us. He has had to wrestle with his own doubts, with his own fear, with his own hunger. Jesus is like us. So how is it that he's able to function this way with his family? I have trouble doing that. I'm a pleaser, so I would want my family to be happy. I want to keep everybody on the same page. Sometimes even in ministry, it might be easier for me to want to please someone else than to do what I know God is calling us to do, right? Or to spend my time in a way that I know God is calling me to spend my time. How Jesus does this, I think, helps us. He knows his identity. It came to him in Mark chapter 1 in his baptism. Do you remember the voice? The voice from heaven? This is my son, the beloved one, right? I am pleased to dwell with him. Those, those things are very important. Now, we might hear those things and think, well, that's about Jesus. That's how Jesus is described. Well, I want you to take that a step further and realize that's pretty close to what God says of you. You are a child of God. You're made by God. You are beloved of God. And you are one in whom God is pleased to dwell. Do you hear that? That's the same. In fact, all the people that we meet, even on Black Friday, these are children of God. They may not know it. They certainly may not act like it as they get into fights and squabbles. But this is a child of God. 
This is someone who is loved by God. And in our baptism, we're able to find this identity where we begin to partner with God and say, yes, God, I want you to dwell in me and with me. Jesus was able to function this way because he knew his identity clearly. And that was what was most important to him. He was able to say, yes, I have a physical family. I'm not going to be mean to them, but I'm going to make a point with them. And let folks know that there is a spiritual family that is characterized by those who do the will of God, not those who wear it like a badge, like a religious leader or a scribe, or even some Christians who will be a Christian in name, but not actually do the will of God. This is the center, the center from which Jesus can act. And I think it informs us as well that when we get caught up in the bustle and the busyness of the holiday, we can know who we are, that we're loved, that we're made by God, and that God is living in us. Whenever we feel alone, like no family called us, and no family spent time with us, and we're now not in the same house as our spouse. Whenever we feel that sense of aloneness, we can act not from those fears and doubts, but from a clear identity of who we are before God. When people at school or work attach labels to us of being crazy or weird because of our beliefs, we can act not in anger, but in a clear sense of who we are before God. Now, I, I want to point out that just because you're persecuted at your work or among your family doesn't mean somehow you're a prophet. It doesn't even mean that you're right. Okay? I've seen a lot of Christians who are total jerks because they think, oh, poor me. I'm suffering. Look at what's happening to me. Well, have you paid attention to how you're acting? Please don't claim the name of Christ in those moments. None of us is immune from being wrong and from needing a little bit of correction from our families, usually from our spiritual families, but we need to know that this because we're persecuted doesn't mean that we are right. Okay, Brady, but how, you've told us how this works with busyness and being alone. But how does this really work in life? Can I tell you something that's a little bit more me than it is of the Lord, okay? It's my own thinking about things. I think God has kind of made a natural order, a process of where we're learning about family from the very earliest moments. Whenever people are born, it takes a man and a wife, a man and a woman, to conceive a child. They may not be married. I said man and a wife. They may not be married. Now, sometimes those people know one another and sometimes they don't. But inside of the mother, a child is nurtured and grows. We have a lot of new mothers. We've got Sammy and we've got Katie and Ivy and a lot of mothers that have new babies. And inside of the womb, that baby is nurtured by what the mother eats and drinks and puts into her own body. And so most moms will stay away from caffeine and alcohol and drugs. They'll, they'll stay away from those because they're nurturing the baby. They will eat healthy foods and 
protein foods, and even take supplemental vitamins to protect that baby that is within them. At some point, that baby is going to come to the outside and see the mother who has been nurturing it or not. Maybe it becomes an adopted child to another mother. Important for that child's growth is the love of the mother and maybe even of a surrogate parent, a father who's able to offer love outside of this one that's nurturing the baby. Do you see this? This is how we get our concept of God, of how those early formative times are. Well, what happens is that child gains independence over a couple decades. And they're going through a process of moving away from their physical family, of beginning to move towards love of their own choosing away from that family. And it's a natural process. At some point, they will step away from that family. Now, what Jesus, I think, is doing is pointing us to the importance of those physical families, those people that give us life. They will always be important, even if we don't know who they are, or have never met them, or don't like them. But Jesus beckons us deeper into another family, a family where people want to do the will of God, an identity that transcends the identity of that mom and that dad, an identity where we understand that God has made us and that God loves us and that God wants to live in us. It's from that identity that we can really and truly live and move like Jesus. That identity is what gives us a sense of security that will be stronger even than our physical family. Here in this series, what we're doing is paying attention to the holidays. A time when we feel maybe alone, a time when we feel great joy and excitement, a time when we may even gather and focus in on Advent. Have you heard that word before? With this being the first Sunday in Advent, we light the first candle, and it gets lots of different names, but we'll give it the name Hope. Hope. The prophetic anticipation of what is coming. Now, Advent is a process, and it's a word that means coming or arrival. We are looking forward to the coming of Christmas, right? That's what the kids will focus in on. Whenever the trees go up and whenever the decorations come out, you begin to think about the presents that are coming. Well, as we know, during this season, we're focused on the coming of Jesus. Jesus' arrival as God in the flesh. And what a beautiful coming it is. There's two other comings that I'd like you to be thinking about that we'll be exploring over these next weeks. Another coming is the second coming of Jesus. When he comes in his fullness... When he returns, where the dead are resurrected and we are given glorified bodies, that coming is one that motivates us in anticipation of what God will do with us. So we look back, and we don't just get caught in looking at the baby. We're looking forward at the coming of the fullness of God. Right? But there's a third coming. That in this new series of thriving through holiday insanity, I want us to focus in on the coming of Jesus into our lives in the present moment. As we look at what Jesus has done to come, 
And as we look forward to what his fullness will be, what does it look like in the here and the now? In a time when most people are focused in on Santa and their Christmas list, how can we cast our eyes to the coming of Christ in fullness? How can our attitudes be shaped and changed where we know what our identity is to do God's will, to be God's people in this present moment? Today, this is our hope. This is what we are looking forward to. Let's pray. Oh God, you are a good God and we earnestly seek you. And we pray for the coming of your Son. We pray in gratitude for the fact that Jesus came in the flesh. We pray in hopeful anticipation for his coming again. And we pray earnestly for Jesus coming into our lives and to into our speaking and acting with our families and friends and neighbors. Can we be the kind of peaceful, calm people that in a crazy world, people might look at us strange, but they see something more. They see a peace that passes all understanding, a peace that comes from you as our God. It's through Jesus we ask these things. Amen.